Welcome to The Good Enough Mother. My name is Sophie. I am a mother and a motherhood studies sociologist. I believe that we need broad social and cultural change in our societies in order to adequately support the mother to feel empowered, held, revered and respected in our society and culture. I have conversations here with experts and change makers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to another episode of the Good Enough Mother podcast. In this conversation I had with Catherine Cunahan, it ended up being quite a personal conversation where we each reflect on our own experiences of mothering and share some snippets of everyday examples of mothering in a way that I hope really illuminates some lived examples of how the perfect mother myth can play out, how shame and perfectionism operate as part of that, and the day-to-day challenges of mothering that we grapple with. And I hope that some of this also helps to remove what I perceive there to be sometimes a little bit of a facade and sometimes necessarily so in professional spaces that can exist for people who work in this area of support, for people who are motherhood support professionals, who work in mental health, who work in the online space of business creation and motherhood support to really unveil some of the ways in which all of us are navigating this. And it's an ongoing process and a journey. And it's one that requires complexity and nuance in order to be able to speak truthfully about our lived experiences. So you'll hear us talk about perfectionism and shame. And Kath shares really powerfully the ways in which Those two things are linked together and connected with the myth of the good girl and good girl conditioning that we go through as children ourselves and that continues to play out in our children today. And it's something that we want to try and shift and and break. And we talk a bit in the episode about this idea of being a cycle breaker, but some of the challenges that come with that as well. And also some of the extra pressures that that can uh, invite in. So I really hope you enjoy this really rich and at times personal conversation that Kath and I share. I want to tell you a little bit about Kath before I share the episode with you, though. Um, Catherine is an integrative psychotherapist and she works in private practice in London. She's a mother of twin girls and her area of expertise is the intersection between our own trauma and our parenting. And so she specializes in complex trauma, perfectionism, nervous system healing, shifting dysfunctional patterns in our families and reparenting. And her passion is to shift shame and help each client gain an embodied sense of being good enough. And Kath helps her clients develop appreciation. And you'll hear this throughout the episode of all of the ways that we have needed to survive, right? And breaking shame and focusing on the possibility of post-traumatic growth And Kath has done a lot of her own personal work and her own trauma therapy prior to having children and yet experienced, despite this, many challenges, you know, going into motherhood. She describes it as it felt like a setback to emotional ground zero. She hosts a weekly podcast, Grow Yourself Up. I would really encourage you to go and check out Grow Yourself Up and subscribe and you will hear in her podcast the ways in which Kath discusses the needs of our children and the challenges of meeting their needs for us as parents when we're navigating so many of these challenges ourselves. She also writes, she's taught at the Bowlby Centre in London and she'll begin her teaching for the International Attachment Network in 2023. She's registered with and accredited by the UK Council for Psychotherapy and she has more than a decade of experience seeing clients 
and had a previous career in financial services, working in investment banking and as a management consultant. So enjoy this episode. I would love to hear what you think. Go ahead and give Kath a follow on social media. And if you are on there, reach out to both of us or share in your stories some takeaways that you had from this episode. We would love to hear. to be here with you Sophie firstly I want to say it feels like we're building like a light network across the world of support for mothers and it makes me feel quite emotional to really help them kind of honor their own story and so it feels like a privilege to be like building that web of support together and and walking with you so I'm a psychotherapist I work in private practice in London Um, I specialize in um, helping parents who've had their own trauma Um, on their own parenting journeys and understanding how um, their own childhoods and all the things um, that happened there impact their parenting. There's a famous phrase from someone called Selma Freiberg, um, a psychoanalyst about um, the ghosts in the nursery. And I personally think that's one of the most important things to consider um, when going into parenting because um, it impacts us in so many ways, in ways that we may, we would never have known before becoming parents parents so I work a lot with complex trauma um, and I think that actually that is much more widespread than we are um, than we kind of imagine or led to believe Um, and I'm really passionate about kind of everyone learning that they are important that they need to tend to their needs that they're important just because they're alive and um, that their worth is not conditional because so many of us learn that in childhood. Um, And I'm also passionate about not teaching our children to be good because I think that we spend our lives recovering from being like good little girls, basically. And I mean, I count myself among that. And so I like, we need to disrupt all of this, basically. I feel like really, it makes me want to cry when I think about this because it's so important. And so many of my clients and indeed people around um, don't value themselves. And so I think that's really important. Yeah. Thank you, Kath. I hear you. And, you know, as the mother of the do- uh, daughter and you're a mother of young daughters as well, I think it is so pertinent for us to be reflecting on the narrative of the good little girl, because we have such a powerful, powerful position as mothers ourselves to interrupt those narratives. But Something that I'd be curious to talk to you about is the ways in which our power to disrupt narratives in our children's experience can be so powerful. And that is a privilege and that is a responsibility, but can, it can also feel like immense pressure. And so how do we as parents who are parenting consciously, who are aware of the ways that there are patterns from our own childhood and there is our own stuff uh, that we are needing to deal with and that is coming to the fore as we are mothering, as we are parenting. How do we honour the importance of that without perpetuating perfectionism? Like how do we release shoulds on ourselves without putting more shoulds on ourselves about that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that makes so much sense and I grapple with that um, so much personally. Um, And I think the key like headline, which I think we need to like stick across our heads basically as a sign to remember all the time, is that we can't change all of this in one generation. Um, Many of us have had um, 
generations, you know, before us with their own patterns of disconnection and dysfunction and pain and trauma. And so while there is so much power in the idea that we can be a cycle break and, and there is there is power and we have to really balance that with the idea that um, all of the stuff from previous generations coming crashing down on top of us is too much for us to change one generation. Um, and also because, you know, we have a we, we have a section of stuff we don't know, so we don't know what we don't know and we all have blind spots. And so unwittingly, we will perpetuate some stuff. And I think the biggest interrupter for that is self-compassion and acknowledging our own humanness. Like I can't be, I was expected to be a superhuman child and I cannot be a superhuman mother. And in fact, it does my children a massive disservice if I'm trying to be a superhuman mother because then they learn that they need to be superhuman. And I kind of, the brittleness of perfectionism means we can't embrace really the kind of the curves of life, if you know what I mean, all the kind of the, the beauty and the mess and everything that actually gives us meaning because we're trying to be just like so strict with things. But I mean, I fall into that trap all the time of thinking like if I try and engineer like a perfect, you know, if I do some exercise in the morning, if I do this, if I do that, then I'll be like really calm and I'll have a wonderful day. And sometimes that works and sometimes it just doesn't, you know. Yeah, I wonder if I can share a story with you uh, of my day yesterday because it oh, speaks to this. And and I know that, you know, so often it can be um, – we can talk about things theoretically and we've kind of dived pretty quickly into into some concepts here. And But I know that my listeners are probably familiar with a lot of them, but maybe we can talk a little bit about Ghosts in the Nursery in a minute. Um, but – yeah, sure. Yesterday I woke up and I had in my mind, right, so already the creation of expectations because, yes, we are human, yeah. is I'm going to have a really good and present day with my daughter today because I'm feeling a little bit guilty that I haven't been as present with her this week because I've been sick and so there's been more screen time and I've ha- I've been a bit stretched with work and I've been feeling a bit guilty about work because I've needed to put off some interviews and change some commitments and so I'm feeling a little bit of a heaviness of, of all of that and I'm interrogating that and saying well what, what is this guilt here what's it telling me you know listen to your own work Sophie <laughs> and I'm like actually no this guilt here isn't necessarily about the perfect mother myth it is instructive for me here I I'm not living in alignment with my values if I am feeling a sense of disconnection with my daughter. So how can I use this guilt to call me into action? What can I do today with her that is going to actually feel good for me as well? Because I know she would love me to do a whole heap of painting and arts and crafts at home, but that's probably going to lead to me feeling really frustrated and touched out and overwhelmed. So I thought, you know what? Out in the sun, I looked up a local fair that we could go to. This is going to be a great day. I have all the images in my mind. And Uh, through a series of events, which I won't go into uh, full detail about, I had a bunch of things go wrong in the morning. Things just, I mean, for the start, I planned this all out the night before and I was awoken by my daughter sitting on my head, bouncing, waking me up. And I'm like, it's Sunday morning, get off my head. And she's like, get up, mummy, play the Jack Frost game with me. And I'm like, I don't want to be Jack Frost. And she's at me, at me. So I'm doing this like Jack Frost, like this villain that we have in our house and doing the voice. I'm thinking this is not how I wanted to start my peaceful Sunday morning. And and anyway, how it eventuated was I was becoming more and more activated because I was feeling claustrophobic, like the dog was at me, she was at me, 
I was getting people calling me for things. I was like, oh no, I forgot about this deadline I haven't met. And now I'm filling the big gap between the expectation that I had for my day and the lived reality of how it's going. Um, And I ended up actually at one stage locking myself in the bathroom and putting the dog out as well. He'd followed me in there and saying, I need a bit of space. And I mean, she wasn't happy about that, but that's okay. You know, she's five as well. So she's outside. I am in there. I run my wrists under the water. I do some breathing exercises. I come back into the present, ground myself. And that kind of bought me enough time to get out the door by which stage I'd become kind of activated again and I was dysregulated and we go to get in the car and I think what do I need Sophie what do I need I need actually to get out of my head so I need the wind in my face I'm going to wind the windows down put put my music on she wanted frozen she's like I want to listen to let it go we are listening to mommy's music first and then we will listen to let it go Anyway, we had a great car trip singing Frozen and my songs and we got to the fair and it was a beautiful day, right? But there were moments of the day which were not beautiful. And so like that is just a really probably trite example and it's just an everyday mothering moment. But I wonder if if there was anything that you noticed from that, Kath, or anything that came up for you that would perhaps be useful to pull apart for listeners as to how we can get so much in our own head when it comes to how we mother and what our expectations of ourselves are in our mothering yeah and we we tend to try and craft such perfection then because I also sometimes feel guilty about work and I want to foster um uh like days of connection or moments of connection and then my children don't play ball in the way that I want them to essentially and um then it, it leads me to making up various stories about what's going on with them or what's going on with them or that I'm crap. And so for me, when I notice that I try and keep things really simple because I get quite dysregulated and then nothing that comes out of my head when I'm dysregulated is of any support to me. It's always shaming or um, shaming of me or shaming of them. And, um, I notice that really simple things are how I really connect really well with my girls. So actually the less pressure I put on myself, the more easy it is to connect with them. And I think that the like the the dysregulation that's that's brought up, you know, from a from a nervous system perspective, when we're dysregulated, we we are mostly often in sympathetic and that's where our perfectionism lies. And so then we get into a very kind of activated place around what should be going on. And so, so many of us, I think, need to um, widen our window of tolerance actually for the messiness of life. Like that, that what you said about it being an everyday occurrence, your day yesterday, that actually often that is. But we've been so used to like a small band of I can control things and I can make things good. And, and previous to motherhood, we could. You know, you work harder, you you do this. There's so much we can control and we go into motherhood and everything is like kind of out of control. And so kind of widening that band, just think, because all in all, it sounds like it was a good day. Yeah. And to magnify the, the good moments, I guess, that's what I really try and do is to magnify the good moments and to, to not sit in um, the moments where I feel uncomfortable and where, where I think like, why did I become a mother, you know? Because it's so, it's so easy to go to that place sometimes. 
That's right. Um, and yeah. to kind of castigate ourselves. And something interesting there, I, I think, is the pressure around controlling our children or the stories that we make up about our children and then the ways that can lead us into broader stories about the arc of our lives. Um, and you said something before when we were talking, before we started recording, you said uh, shame comes from moments of misattunement and when our shame talks, that's when we go into control and shame our children. Could you expand on on that and what you mean by that? Sure. So I'll back up a little bit just to give a bit of the kind of, I guess, the theory stuff. So we know from um, the work of Brene Brown that shame and perfectionism are two sides of the same coin. And broadly, from a developmental point of view, um, shame starts to come about in about the second year of life. We notice that we feel shame. I mean, this is children, young children when there's moments of misattunement. So when our caregiver, our mother, is not um, meeting us where we are. Now that happens thousands of times during the day. And normally um, the, the mother will come back into attunement and then the, um, the bond will be repaired and there'll be reconnection. And the shame won't go on to become pervasive or chronic. But when there's not enough repair in a timely manner done by the parent, and I know you've covered this previously, so I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the importance of rupture and repair, then we can we can land up with a feeling that we are somehow not good enough. We, ha- we internalize a sense of shame. We have a shame call, which tells us we're not good enough. And the perfectionism is actually um, to deal with that. Does that make sense? Yes. So p- would you say that perfectionism is a defense mechanism, potentially? Yes. Yes. And when we, when we, the, the, the experience of feeling shame is so visceral, it's so um, embodied, you know, when, when you feel shame, you, we often flush, we, we like drop, drop our shoulders, we, um, we often put our heads down, um, and it sometimes, it feels like you, like splitting apart, sometimes when you experience shame, if, it's, if it feels really bad, and so we don't want to feel that. We, we, we subconsciously know we don't want to go there. So we do so many things to layer over that shame. And, um, you know, we, we buy a nice house. We have a nice car. We dress nicely. We put on lots of makeup. I mean, I did lots of makeup as a way to uh, get away from shame for much of my life. Um, and then in mothering, when our children are not behaving in a way that we think is good, or society tells us is good, often our shame can get touched. So when I notice, and I think this is a general point, that when our shame is operational, and our, so we, our shame and our perfection is doing a dance, then we start to shame our children and we control, we try and control them so that they look, um, so that they perform, basically, in the eyes of society. So tending to ourselves, actually, and tending to our shame and noticing that we're going into a place of not feeling good enough is a way to interrupt that. Um, but that's often happens only after the fact. Sh- should I tell you a story? What happened to me recently? Yes, that? please. Yes. So um, we went out for lunch. It was a like a Sunday lunch at a pub in in London, and um, we have often go to this pub just as a foursome with my I've got a husband and my twin daughters. And when we go there, it's got a lovely garden at the back, which is really nice, and there's a play area, so we can sometimes have a bit of peace, and they play play the play area. And we like the food. My kids 
don't really eat that much when we go out. They'll eat French fries and bread. One of them eats lots of French fries and the other one eats bread. And I sometimes take veggie sticks just because I always do that. And we went with this family of the like of a little girl in their class at the school they were previously at. And um, when it came to ordering, I noticed, I went into this kind of, I knew that they wouldn't order, they wouldn't eat probably whatever I ordered. But this mom wanted to order, it was a Sunday, so there was like a Sunday roast, there was like roast chicken or something. So this mom was going to order roast chicken for her child and some other things for her children. And so I ordered a kid's pizza and like a roast chicken thing. I also ordered the chips and the bread, but I noticed inside of myself, and I think I even noticed it at the time, I was like, I can't just order the chips and bread because then that mom is going to think that I'm leading her kids down the garden path because I'm just giving mine chips and bread and then she's going to think that I'm a bad mom somehow. So I went down the road the road of ordering that food like as a show. I think I was really performing in some way. And I mean, I'm laughing as I say this because it was, I discussed this in detail with my husband that night, but I wasn't aware of this at the time, this bit, that when this food came, so I cut up this pizza, her kids wanted some of the pizza, so that was good that they had that. We cut up this chicken and both my husband and I kind of helicoptered around my children trying to get them to eat this chicken because they have actually started eating some chicken recently and they didn't eat any of it and we had to order more chips and more bread and her kids didn't eat any of the stuff either but she hadn't made a fuss about it or like they didn't eat the roast chicken they ate the chips and bread as well and in the end mine just ate chips and bread um and I sort of soothed myself through that but I noticed how much I'd been in my own shame around not thinking thinking I was not good enough wanting that other mum to think oh well we'd like to see them again um because it was like it was early on in a friendship so that I felt vulnerable about that wanting you know thinking oh we're not going to see them again because they're like crap parents basically <laughs> and I just thought in those moments I was heckling my daughters to eat this chicken completely abandoning them you know they're so beautiful and full of life and who cares if they eat chips and bread when we're at a pub? Like, who cares? Mm -hmm. There's so much value attached to like, like almost like the fancier the food your kid eats, the more it's a reflection of you. And that's such a false premise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had to have so much tenderness for myself for how I really wanted to coerce them into performing this, this, this role of eating like roast chicken. Mm. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That is such a an example that I know lots of people will resonate with. And I think that it's really powerful for people who have some level of expertise, you know, who are psychotherapists, psychologists, you know, ch considered child experts. And for us to share our real life lived experience story of our mothering experiences because there is something about that that cracks a bit of a um, a bit of a facade that people can place over you in a particular way. I don't know if you've experienced that, Kath, but I think that in some ways, in order for us to know who the bad mother is, right, we need to be able to pedestal the good mother, the ideal mother. And so people, uh, whether real or perceived, can be made into versions of the perfect mother that we can compare ourselves 
with, even unknowingly or unconsciously. And so I just really appreciate and value you sharing that experience of, of yours that you've had with your, your children. And I can think of also so many examples. And I wonder as listeners listen to this too, they can think of their own of where I've, I've, as you say, ultimately have been trying to coerce my daughter into something, which I personally don't care that much about, but it's because I'm within the particular social context and it's kind of unconsciously happens at the time. And then you unpick it afterwards. Yeah. 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 And and I sort of also want to say, like, I know I said this to you, but bless all of us mums. We're all trying to do our best. You have to hold that. So, so much self-kindness, you know. Sometimes I think the more knowledge I have, the worse it gets. I don't know. It's kind of a bit of a conundrum, that. Yeah, I hear you. And I think there's a there's a type of intensive mothering ideology that almost can intensify depending on what professional hats you wear as well because you can even judge yourself more harshly because, again, the shoulds are here. I should know better. I should know more than this. I support my clients with this, so I sh- I should have this under control. Yeah, my I sometimes talk about that with my own therapist, and um, she laughed with me about that because I said that sometimes you know it's like my it's like I'm sitting in front of me sometimes when I'm in a therapy session, and she laughed with me and she said, "Well, we teach best what we most need to learn," and that was uh, it helped me stay in humility as well, you know. Yeah, that's right. And because what's the whole entire point of all of this work? It's about our humanness. And coming back to that, I mean, it's the, the name of the podcast, right? The Good Enough Mother. It's that so often there's a misunderstanding that people think that means it's a settling of, oh, well, I guess you can't reach the summit of perfectionism. So take second best place and be good enough. But it's the opposite of that. It's saying, actually, yeah. if we try and reach that summit of perfectionism, that cuts us off from feeling the full breadth and depth of our human experience. That's doing a disservice to us yes. and our children. Yes. Yeah. And it is so seductive because for many of us, the full breadth of our experience was totally cut in half in childhood in terms of you were banished, essentially, if you had any kind of um, emotions which were not palatable. Um, and so it feels so unsafe, actually, often not to aim for perfectionism, I think. Um, but it's such a it's such a service, I think, that we do to our children to teach them. I'm acceptable when I'm not perfect. Therefore, you are acceptable when you're not perfect. There's so much beauty in that. How do you think, Kath, when, you know, thinking about the examples and some of the stories that we've shared in this episode, and we have an awareness of the ways in which, as you've spoken about, and obviously this is a journey that we integrate and we continue to process, of how our own stories of of self and our own um, processes can be present there with us when we're trying to parent and we actually aren't able to attune with our children and we aren't able to, to meet their needs and we, we do shame them and we, and all of and we're actually perpetuating the very things onto them that we are trying to break. And then we take on and we move towards this identity of being the cycle breaker or being the parent who will parent differently to how you were parented or whatever that can look like for you. How do you move from a place of that awareness to then the next step? What it like? Could you map out what that can look like in terms of repair with your children, having dialogue with your children about this, what you say to yourself? Like, what does self compassion actually look like? What would you say to listeners who may identify some of these same sorts of stories or experiences in their own mothering? But then, where do you go after the identification? What do you do next? 
So I think that the biggest thing is actually turning to ourselves and, and comforting ourselves and being kind to ourselves because many of us learned in our families of origin to abandon ourselves. So we were raised to tend to the needs of our parents, essentially, in many different ways. So we do not turn to ourselves in times of struggle. We, we either go into a fight response or a flight response or sometimes we freeze, but we don't um, kind of soften and just go, oh, sweetheart, that was so hard. You, you know, you were so much in your own stuff that you kind of couldn't even see what was going on for them. And to just really be with ourselves and to, to turn to ourselves when we most need ourselves instead of going down the berating yourself route. And I think through that softness that we come to ourselves with, it's, it's essentially remothering ourselves. Like really with softness, like I always say to a client, find a word, maybe use the name that you were called as a child or find something. I always say sweetheart or, I mean, I use those type of words. And I always put my hand on my heart because that's giving ourselves a sign of safety and, um, you know, self-touch in that way is very powerful. And to really be with ourselves um, and kind of sometimes we know some of our stories, sometimes we don't. Because often, you know, implicit memories, you don't you have implicit memories from when you were born, but you often don't have a story associated with that. So you, you don't might not have words to reparent yourself with. But to just be with yourself and know that you're valid. And then to kind of I was quite stressed yesterday. We had a family lunch and I was quite um abrupt with my kids because they were like wanting to be on me when I was getting changed. And I was like, I need some space, like go away go downstairs I was just like literally go away and I had to I reconnected with him afterwards and I said I'm so sorry I felt really stressed and I need space in that time and I know it's hard because it's scary for them or they get fear when um when I you know send them away essentially and I try and really model um being gentle with myself and then coming back into connection with them and one of my daughters last night I don't think did really want to connect with me because I think she did feel hurt and she didn't want to make that much eye contact with me. But I have to kind of be gentle with myself about that because so much of my own stuff was triggered during the day. And to just kind of like our relationship is not a, it's not transactional. It's like an ongoing dance. Um, and so then this morning I spent time with them just sitting on the sofa watching some TV before breakfast. And then I made them breakfast and we all sat down together and then we can reconnect. But I don't think, you know, sometimes even in a day, you sometimes don't get that reconnection. You put them to bed at night. And then I always, without fail, before I go to bed, I go and check on them. And I come back to our bedroom and I say, oh, they're so beautiful. I love them so much. I feel so grateful. No matter what's happened at bedtime, you know, or time, if they've kept me there for like an hour. But I think that, I think the real work is turning to ourselves and knowing that we are lovable, whatever we have done. Mm. And I'm not talking about like, I'm talking about within the confines of, of, of respectful parenting here. I'm not talking about like mm. abuse, but that we are lovable and that, that connection with them is through softness and through leading with our hearts about what feels important. I feel really passionate about that. And that from that place comes possibility and hope. And, um, and also from a nervous system perspective, then we're more, we're reconnected to ourselves. Our frontal cortex is online. We can, we can see more kindly. 
instead of being in the very activated position where our our thoughts, so our psychological story is limited when we're in an activated position. Mm. I did a training with Deb Dana a couple of years ago, maybe last year, about all um, polyvagal stuff. And she often teaches that when we're in a position in our nervous system in one of our survival states, actually self-compassion is one of the best ways to get us back to um to a place where we have more control where our frontal lobes are managing the emotional part of our brain and um it sometimes is really hard particularly if you're very shut down and you've got a lot of shame voices um but just to kind of go you know we're valid we we're not terrible we've had a moment of disconnection with our children but when our implicit memories flood us when we were not palatable as children, it was um, devastating and made us feel really, really powerless. Um, and there was a lot of terror, but that terror is not of the present moment often. We can reconnect, you know. Yeah, I think that the um, uh, what you've said there about repair is so important and, and just the reiteration of, right, the repair is the place in which we can come back into attunement and back into connection. And we have that opportunity over and over and there's no opportunity lost. Really. We, we get to keep trying at this and something important. I think you've said there as well. It was about uh, the ways in which our, and you know, in some ways, maybe this sounds like an obvious point, but I don't think it it is when you said that our, it's a relationship, it's not transactional. Because I think sometimes when talking about rupture and repair processes with our children, it can be plotted out to be quite linear. Like you have the repair, the rupture, you say, go away to my child. The child is upset. You regulate yourself. You go back to the child. You apologize you explain to them your context in a child appropriate way and then you're offering in the repair and then the child hugs you and then you go along in an attuned and connected way (laughs) and it's not always sometimes it could be like that but it's not always like that is it like it's often as you say it's not transactional and we need to respect as well where our children are at and and what they are willing to be uh involved in in that interaction in that moment when where they find themselves too yeah yeah, and I think that's so important that um, because my husband on a Sunday night, um, he does bath time. So now we're recording this on a Monday. So she went up the stairs and she didn't really want to look at me. And I did give her a hug and a kiss and say, I love you. But um, I had to kind of respect that, you know, she might be a bit cross with me and that she wanted to rather be with my husband. And that's okay. Mm. Yeah, another reminder that we're not meant to mother alone <laughs> and that, you know, we're, we're meant to have multiple caregivers who can step in when we are feeling feeling activated in that way. And I was speaking with a friend um, recently and she was kind of offering me some listening time around, uh, around some challenges I was having and just feeling touched out and just feeling like, give me a moment, I can't get a moment. It's like there's no space, like just the noise and the constant touching and the mess and sometimes it's just too much and um and she said to me yeah so if that's why you know we're, we're meant to have people there that we can tap out we can say I'm tapping out I'm going out for a 15 minute walk I'll be back you know it's just even reminding ourselves of oh yeah that's right you know if this is hard because it's hard it's not hard because I am inadequate and you know not well resourced enough in my own practices of resilience yeah it's so hard I must say what you said about space and being touched out. I find sometimes 
I have like a desperate need to just go like, get away from me. Like, I need like, I, I need you out of like my orbit basically. And my orbit sometimes is quite far away from me. Like, I don't want to have two people sitting on my lap all the time. I just don't. Yeah, and that's perfectly okay to and say. And I think we can really return. Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of, um, I, I'm just, I know that there are so many mums who would feel such guilt at even having that thought let alone verbalizing it and so I hope some of this dialogue that we're having can release some of that guilt to say that this is normal this is common it is okay it does not make you a bad mum it does not make you a not good enough mum that it's really understandable that we have these feelings and you know they they move through as well and we're able to reconnect yeah yeah but I think that that thing what you just said about moving through is so important you know in their book, um, I think it's the Burnout book by Emily and Amelia Nagoski, they talk about how mm. feelings are a tunnel and that you just go through the tunnel and when you get to the end of the tunnel, you've processed the feeling and you've let it kind of wash through your body. And But many of us don't have that emotional fluidity. We, we kind of, we're kind of backed up with things. As soon as something feels tiny but threatening, we try and shove it away or dissociate from it. Um, and that comes back to haunt us, really, because we, we really need to be processing through. But if we kind of just go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm having some angry moments and let it just run out and maybe process it or talk about it, then um, we can get much more fluid. And we're also much more accepting of our children's feelings then because it's also like, oh, yes, you're having a meltdown about this right now, but in two minutes it'll be through. Um, yeah. And I think that brings so much more emotional yes, health. Yes, completing the stress cycle. I've read some of that book, but not all of it, but I'll link it for anyone who's interested. And then, and my understanding is, is that the completion of the emotional cycle or process often involves some sort of um, getting out of your head, basically. So some sort of physical movement uh, or some sort of moving it through yeah. in some way. That was, I mean, that was the, my motivation in putting on the, the frozen music and my music and having a big sing and, and getting out into the sun and putting your feet in the ground. And yes. like, there are ways actually for us to connect in with things outside of us too, to help us when we're, we're feeling that emotional stuckness too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think singing, any creative endeavour, um, writing, singing, cooking, painting, anything like that um, is one of the ways to complete that stress cycle. And they think they have like, they talk about actually, I think in that book, because I also never finished it. I'm the queen of unfinished <laughs> books, basically. <laughs> um, they, um, they talk about exercise. They talk about physical affection. They talk about any creative expression. Crying is a really good thing to, way to move things through. Um, laughing. And I think I'm forgetting some of them, but they list them in that book. Mm, beautiful. It's helpful. It's helpful. It reminds me of aware parenting. There are a lot of the ways, that, like aware parenting instructors and that kind of approach of parenting will talk about moving feelings through with our children, through crying, laughter, play, you know, looking at oh. attachment play, tears as emotional release and, and laughter yeah. as a way to regulate. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, look, I know there's so many um, so many different pathways we could take with this conversation, Kath, but I'm conscious too of of not taking much more of your time and it's so valuable so all the knowledge and expertise that you share and I would love for you to share with listeners about your podcast that you've started recently which is a beautiful resource for people who would like to dive into some more of these types of topics could you tell us about your podcast and what listeners might find by connecting more with you thanks Sophie thanks for that opportunity so um it's called grow yourself up and um I've wanted to start it for since like the beginning of 2020 
I bought a micro in 2020, but then I don't know, I couldn't quite get myself over the hump of starting it. I think I, I sort of struggled with, am I valid basically, you know, is what I have to say enough. Um, and then, um, I finally got myself over that hump and I started it on the 28th of June and, um, it feels so joyful and so um, exciting. And I've mapped it out as a kind of a journey. So I really want to be of spiritual service to people. And I can't, you know, therapy is limited in a one-on-one way. And also there's a part of me who wants to use some of my own story to help other people alchemize their stuff. Because I have learned the most often through reading books of people who I don't even know, who I will never meet. Um, and um, their kind of raw honesty and self-acceptance of themselves has really helped me with that. Um, and so I share some of my own stuff in that. Um, and I'm trying to, to take us through sort of like a therapy journey in a way. So there's a lot of psychoeducation. Um, and I think it's really profound work, um, parenting in a way where you teach your child to be connected to themselves and where you're learning to connect to yourself and many of us have to grow ourselves up alongside our children and actually the podcast is not exclusively for parents you it's it does have a lot of kind of parenting content but it applies more broadly and I started off with needs and meeting our own needs because so many of us particularly in the motherhood space treat our needs as if they're like the least important thing in our whole life and really they are kind of the bedrock of what our life exists on. And so if we met our own needs, we gave ourselves permission to do that. Everything else changes so much, but there's so many narratives around that selfish, you know, people have a construct. If you grew up in a family where um, it was very enmeshed and love was shown, you know, if you were very um, tuned into your mother's emotions and you had to really care for her and make sure she was happy and that makes you a good person, then the idea of meeting your own needs is in complete opposite to that self-concept of I'm a good person, therefore I put you first. And so it's so threatening often to our sense of self even to start to meet our own needs. It feels very radical. Um, And so I'm trying to give permission um, around that. So that's kind of where there's a bunch of stuff on needs in the beginning. Um, And I'm going to move on to a much bigger deep dive on feelings Mm -hmm. and on trauma, but yeah, it feels really blessed. Like I feel blessed to be in community with people and I hope that I can spread it. Thank you for all of the work that you're doing, Kath, mm-hmm. and for this conversation and head to the show notes as you're listening to connect more with Kath and her work. And thank you for everything that you've shared. And I've really enjoyed this conversation, being able to share some of our own mothering experiences as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Sophie. I hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. Please consider leaving the podcast a review to help me have these conversations reach more people. If you're someone who works with mothers, check out my online training, the Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification, and you can head to my website for more information about my other services, drsophiebrock.com. Thank you for being here.